Hello, welcome to the Fortline Social Podcast. Uh, I'm the host, Sam Henley. Uh, this, might my, this will be my first time doing a uh, podcast as a host, and my first time with Fortline. And I was lucky enough to interview Sunny Singh, uh, aka Hate Five Six, who's a videographer, activist, BMX rider, all round multifaceted individual. We had a really good conversation about shows, hardcore, uh, the political rallies he's been doing, um, and just learning a bit more about his life and what he does and and what Hey Five Six stands for, and yeah, all sorts. It's a real good, real good discussion. He's a real great dude. So yeah, hope you enjoy. What have you been up to? Well, I guess over the past six months, I guess because we're in. Yeah, July now. What have you been up to since uh, since the start of the year? Yeah, so um, really the start of the year was just a continuation of Vista 2020, which is focused on doing live streams of bands in studio settings, like closed off rooms where it's just uh, me and the band and an audio engineer and doing live streams. Because uh, at the time, that was the only way the bands were able to perform digitally, virtually was, was the only way. So I was doing things like that. Um, and then doing a lot of on the ground activist work using the camera uh, to document uh, movements and rallies here in Philadelphia. Um, everything from live streaming to just filming interviews and 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 posting it up for those local organizations. And in the last two weeks or so, uh, shows have started to resume. So I've been uh, going out there. I think I've filmed maybe three shows now, two or three shows. So. Um, it's nice to be back in a room with other people and, and I, I, I enjoy the live streams, but, uh, and I'll probably continue doing them, but I really enjoy being in a room with other people. And I think most people would agree, especially when it comes to hardcore and punk, that's the best place to, to witness this, this type of music. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I saw on your Instagram actually that in the past 24 hour, well, in a 24 hour period, you managed to film a rally for Mamaya, uh, the, the Bane release and, year of the knife you did all that in, in like a 24-hour period how did that how did that come about yeah so bane played a it was a it was a memorial show for Stu uh brandon Stu mcguire was a member of bane and reaches guy he was diagnosed with mm-hmm. cancer like over a year ago um and so they had planned to do this this benefit show for him and he had picked the bands to play and uh it was there was going to be an unannounced bane reunion was one of his requests so uh he unfortunately passed away like a couple of days before that. So that show ended up turning into just a celebration of, of him. So I had caught wind that Bane was going to do that set. So I, I called them and I said, Hey, like, can I, can I come shoot this? And they said, yeah, sure. So I, I drove up a couple, couple of people from Philly came up. So I, I tagged along with them. Uh, it's about like a five hour drive from Philly to Boston. So uh, left Philly around like eight or 9am got to Boston around three or four. Uh, the show was five to like, midnight ish or so and then <laughs> drove straight back down to philly so i got home at around 5 a.m uh and then a couple hours later i woke up like three hours later i woke up and then there was a rally for mumia Bujamal, who's a uh, former black panther and activist in philly who's been incarcerated for almost 40 years so uh, i went to that rally in center city which is like the the central central part of philadelphia and uh, live streamed that rally and then that was maybe a two hour thing. And then from there, I just, I ran over to underground arts, which is not far from center city, which is where the uh, year of the knife record release show was. So that was all within the span of 24 hours. And that, that, that show was uh, year of the knife, mind force Queensway, 
Age of Apocalypse, All Due Respect, and Roll Life. So it was a great show of this, like a uh, couple small bands, couple you know medium tier bands, and you know bands that have been killing it for a while. So it was uh, it was a long weekend, and I'm 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 just still starting to uh, recover from everything. Yeah, but it's uh, there's a big recovery, and I guess emotionally as well, it must have been must have been must have been a lot, you know, for with the rally and and the the release show. So I think you've you've done a really good job of capturing capturing yeah art and creativity so yeah congratulations on that really thank you yeah it's 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 been i think like i've I've kept very busy uh throughout this whole lockdown just finding different ways to just get out of the house or just just work on something because i think that uh as most people listening to this probably can understand like the uh the uh the lockdown was not great mentally for a lot of us uh just not being able to have access to you know, live music or just things in general. Yeah. So it was important for me to just find ways of occupying myself and my time. Yeah, absolutely. And how did it feel to be back in a room with hundred or so? Well, I guess over about hundred people seeing seeing you know live music, seeing that that crowd interaction. How did it feel to be back? Yeah, it was weird. It felt uh, both uncomfortable because again, it had been fifteen months since most of yeah. had been to a show, but it also felt like shows had never ended. So it kind of just picked up from where things left off. I mean, it was a pop, every show has ha, has had uh, has been sold out. They've been uh, packed. Uh, great energy, people singing along, stage diving, moshing. Nice. I was I was expecting it to be a slower rollout, a slower return of just like much smaller capacity. People maybe kind of being wary about moving up front. But like I said, yeah. everything's been selling out, and people have been just very excited to get back get get, get back uh, up front, singing along. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine, you know, lock, lockdowns affected so many music communities and so many individuals. And would you say that in a way it's been, I don't know, some kind of positive aspect for maybe hardcore in a sense that it gives more people time to listen, more time people to reflect. Have you have you seen any kind of benefits of this of this lockdown I, process for yourself or the community in general? Yeah, I haven't seen anything per se firsthand, but my my feeling was that this was a good thing, just as a way to reset for people to, you know, think about what's important to them with this music. It also probably weeded out some people who didn't really care about hardcore yeah. to begin with. Uh, I think it also brought a lot of new people in who maybe had mm-hmm. just, you know, discovered a video uh, during lockdown and inspired them to come out. So, um, again, I don't have any concrete evidence, but I think that uh, I think it was at least for me, it felt good to just take a breather and to. Uh, you know, realign and, 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 and just get, get charged up for the next, for things to return. So I, I would like to think that, uh, that is hopefully the case for a lot of people. It just was a, it was a uh, moment to just think about, you know, this, 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 uh, scene we have is not guaranteed. This music we have isn't guaranteed. The ability to go to shows isn't guaranteed. So it's important to, to value it. So I think that, uh, that was probably for many people an important lesson. Yeah, absolutely. And to us, obviously it was mostly, Hardcore was put on social media. Essentially, that was the, that was the platform, and I feel like you know sites like TikTok really pushed pushed it out to the world, which is which is really good. It's getting the message out of you know what we do, um, which is amazing. Like I saw that you're on TikTok recently as well. Um, yeah, what was what was the what was your sort of decision behind that? Well, so I had been on the fence about joining for a long time, and then someone had stolen the name eight five six on there. Uh, he's not posting anything on it, but he just like took the name. So yeah, uh, I realized that I kind of need to just 
whenever a new thing pops up, I just got to, got to claim the name <laughs> and just start using it. So, um, and I don't know, I, I wanted a new outlet just to start from, just to promote the channel. And so, right. Yeah. You know, I think people, there's only so much, you know, there's, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's Instagram. Um, it's important to not post the same things on all of them at the same time. So yeah. I just look at it as another uh, avenue um, for, for pushing hate five, six content. So the initial goal right now is to just postly post mostly show related memes, like funny moments from shows on TikTok yeah. and just, you know, see where that goes. And, you know, I think the vast majority of people who are following me on TikTok are already following me on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Yeah. So they, they, they probably get the notifications when like, a full set goes up that they care about or, or what have you. So TikTok right now is just, it's, it's just a way for me to play around and have some fun with the content. Yeah. That's good. And like you use stuff like Patreon and, and YouTube to really push your stuff out there. And I guess it's a case of utilizing everything you know, that's out there. Yeah. Like you said, you don't want to you know post too much on one site, but you've got to make use of all channels, um, particulars, you know, this, you're, you're on your own, you know, you're a one man creative. Yeah. I can imagine that. That does have its challenges. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, I think I, I certainly work better as an independent creative, but it does get overwhelming figuring out to like when to post this, when to post that, when to advertise for this. And so uh, I think just having multiple uh, platforms is giving me some flexibility in terms of like, okay, you know, I can post once a day on here. I can post every other day on here. I don't have to, I don't have to follow a strict uh, schedule. So I'm still trying to figure that out in terms of uh, what's best for me in terms of um, growing the channel and trying to get the word out about what what it is that I do and how to support the work that I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. How did you initially get that support and I guess following a momentum when you first started out? You're saying like on, on Patreon? I'd, I'd say I'd say when you first started picking up a camera and started shooting for bands, like how did you how did you get, you know, bands to follow you, fans to follow you? How did that sort of build up? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, it, I mean, I started locally, just local shows here in and around Philadelphia and just reaching out to promoters asking, hey, can I shoot the show? Um, and building a relationship that way. Because I would, you know, go to the show, film it. And then within a couple of days, those videos would go up and people would like, people would be, realize, oh, that was the guy who's filming there. Okay. It's cool for him to come back. So I tell people who want to get into filming or taking photos at shows, you know, reach out to the promoter, reach out to the band, ask if it's cool to shoot and then get the stuff out there and tag them, mm -hmm. send them copies if they need it. Like obviously make sure they credit you. And if you want to get paid for it as a creative, like you should, you should try to get paid for it. But uh, I, I think it's important to uh, try to deliver on what your promise is. So if you tell the promoter, Hey, I'm going to go film the show and I'm going to get it out. You should do that. So I, it was not an overnight thing for me. It was, mm -hmm. you know, 10 plus years of just filming as much as I could and, and posting everything and, and um, you know, using the videos as a promotional tool, not just for the bands, but also for the venues and promoters. Cause I think that yeah. uh, people don't all often realize that videos also are huge ways of, of helping with venues and promoters get the, get their name out. Um, so I think that, I think just my consistency with it is what, um, what allowed, what allowed the channel to grow because it brought, uh, it brought both viewers back coming to see what else I was going to post next. And it also um, had promoters excited for me to come out and they, they would, they would, you know, if I was, if I was reaching out to another promoter in a different state, I'd had a promoter that I just worked with here in Philly, contact them and vouch for me being like, yeah, he's good. He knows what he's doing. He'll get this stuff out. So it was really, it really came down to just uh, relationship building and networking 
Um, yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a deliberate thing. It was just something that came and, and, and happened organically. I was going to say, did you ever have like a plan when you first started filming shows to get to a certain place or did it just sort of spiral to get to this point? Yeah, I never really thought I all I really cared about was uh, I hope that this video that at a film is hitting an audience and that gets that audience excited about whatever it is I'm filming, whether it's a band or a political speech at a rally. Like all I cared about was that the content would be used as a vehicle for for uh, exciting people and inspiring them. So in I, I feel like I've achieved that, but I, I didn't have any expectations in terms of how many followers I would have or how many mm -hmm. videos I would shoot or. Honestly, I never wanted to do it full-time. I was always content with it being a part-time thing that I did outside of my day job um, as just like a creative endeavor. But after 10 years of doing that, I got to the point where I was pretty pretty set on wanting to try, wanting to try to do it full-time. And so I've been doing it full-time about three years now. And again, every day, every day is has exceeded the expectations that I've had since the beginning. So I'm, I'm thankful and humble that I've had the opportunity to, to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like your primary focus from day one is to capture emotion, capture, capture a moment instead of just capturing, you know, views and, and followers. Your, your primary focus was capturing a moment, capturing a special moment in time. Would you say that that was, that was your approach? Yeah. I think that I've always had, um, um, an affinity for filming things. So uh, whether it was BMX growing up or starting to film shows or in, in more recently, like these political things, uh, I think that the camera makes me hyper aware of very subtle emotion, whether it's like someone in the crowd going off because it's a very important song to them. And I'm you know looking to see if there's anyone in the crowd having a moment or just someone, you know, a band member flailing around. Like I'm, I'm constantly looking to see where's the most effective way for me to point the camera yeah. So that when someone's watching it, they can try to feel some, some um, connection to it. Obviously, a video is never going to replace the experience of being there, but I want the video to try to bridge that gap in a, in a way. So I'm constantly looking, constantly looking for moments in the crowd and on stage that will convey that emotion to the viewer. And similarly, when I'm at a rally, um, I'm, I'm filming the speeches and I'm, I'm framing the shot in a certain way that captures both the speaker and something in the background and maybe someone holding a sign or... Uh, an important statue behind them. So I'm, I'm looking for ways of framing the shot so that when people are watching it, it brings them into the space that I was in watching it um, and filming it and, and in such a way that it uh, hooks them, engages them and wants them to hear or learn more. So a lot of people feel like the political content and the band stuff are two separate things, but I really feel like they are one and the same, especially in hardcore and punk, which is a very political uh, rooted heavily in, in political ideology. I think that the way I film it and the way I approach it is um, they're, they're one and the same. So um, I think that, you know, and, and people have said, Hey, I don't, you rely on the camera to have fun at shows. Isn't that like hinder, uh, uh, hindering your experience? And, and I argue that it's not, I argue that the camera actually, like I said, makes me hyper aware of what's going on. And it makes me feel like I'm more in tune with the moment and paying very close attention to very subtle things that are going on. So I actually appreciate having the camera on me as much as possible because it, it does keep me on my toes and, and it, it forces me to think about the moment um, in a different way. Cause obviously if I'm there without my camera, I'm there for myself. And sometimes it's good to be in spaces for yourself. But for me, I'm, I'm sort of uh, removing myself from the equation and thinking about from the viewer's perspective, from the communities, uh, from the community community's perspective, what's it going to be like to watch this and how can I film this in such a way that 
um, benefits them and wants them to, to to watch more. Of course, and, and I feel like with a rally and hardcore as well, you're it's it can be sort of educational as well. You know, you particularly when it comes to a political political aspect, you you want to sort of educate people out there. You also want to spread the message, and that's what you're doing in terms of your framing. So, yeah, I see similarities with hardcore and rallies, and it's really interesting that you brought that up. I know is there some like criticism of the rallies and hardcore being two separate things uh, or yeah being being the same thing which is in my opinion ridiculous because like you said it's the, it's the same it is the same process hardcore is always and will be politically driven and that's who you are you know yeah i would say that it's it it's fundamentally rooted in in punk and hardcore uh but also you know to say that it doesn't belong is kind of ridiculous because you can have an opinion and you can either just ignore it or, yeah. or like, like I'm not, I'm not telling people you have to believe or take my opinion. I'm putting out there what my opinion is, or I'm amplifying the voice of someone whose opinion I think is valid. I'm not saying that everyone needs to agree with it. I'm just saying I'm putting this, I'm putting this information out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on you to decide whether you want to consume it and whether or not you want to wrestle with it. But to say that I have no right to put it out there is completely misguided. And the other part of it is, I think that um, like, being apolitical, like not having a political opinion is a political stance because you're choosing to not engage with the content that uh, is affecting certain people. So for example, like I was posting a lot about what's going on in Colombia uh, with, with the uprisings there and people were like, hey, stop posting this political content. And from a, from a human, pers- from a, <laughs> just a fundamental perspective of being a human, it, it is important because these are people but from a community perspective, there's actually a lot of people in the hardcore scene from Colombia, and what's going on there is affecting their people and their scene. So to say that it doesn't belong, that content doesn't belong in their fe- in this feed of like hardcore content, completely disregards and erases the lived experiences of peers, people who actually belong to this yeah. community. So I I think that anyone who has an issue with it is, I I, I honestly don't think they belong in this community because you're you're like. You're, what you're doing is you're saying that uh, you don't want to have to think about or even see in your feed something that is impacting someone who's probably standing next to you at a show. Yeah. And then, you know, at that same show, some the band's going to give a speech about how it's a community. And that same person who doesn't want to see that content is probably going to clap along about how we're a big community and how this is great and like hardcore brings us together. So there's a disconnect there. And yeah. I think that that's a, that's a problem when people don't think about what that actually means. So... Uh, anytime I get negative feedback, like I'm at a point now where I don't care because that feedback no, isn't going shouldn't. to stop me. It's not going to stop me from what I'm doing. Um, and ultimately, those people are still going to come back from my content. And in a way, and I've said this uh, quite a bit on social media and, and in other interviews, and in, in a way, that them engaging with the content only boosts that content more in other people's feeds. And again, like I said earlier in, in this interview, like the whole purpose of what I'm doing is to amplify a voice or a band and get that content out to as many eyes as possible. And in this age of algorithms and, and, and ranking and things like that, search engine optimization, like people's engagement on a post is important. So the way I look at it is if someone is complaining about it, cool, go ahead. Like one, you're not going to stop me from doing what I'm doing Two, You're only engaging with the post more. And three, you are the exact target audience for this content because like, obviously it's good to reach people who you know are going to agree with you, but really it's important to also like put this shit in front of people's eyes who don't want to see it. 
and you need to hit them with a shotgun blast of truth in order to, to, to get the point across. So I welcome it at this point uh, for a long time. It bothered me, but I welcome any sort of negative feedback I get. No, no, I think that's a really good spin on it. And to be honest, like it's a privilege to, to not experience half the, half the stuff that, you know, you, you film and you've, you protest for. And I feel like, yeah, it's incredibly disrespectful just to complain about it, but you know what? You're right. You're right. It's good. It's good to use them as a, as a driver. Do you, do you remember yeah. your first political rally you filmed? Uh, I can't, I mean, I definitely filmed some stuff at Occupy 2011. I was filming down there. Um, I maybe filmed a couple small rallies before then, but I want to say maybe one of the first big things I did was Occupy, which was a bit one of the big first pro, first big protests here in the states against like Wall Street and and like wow. um, corruption against financial institutions. So people were taking over like parks and like city centers all across the country. So that was a big thing. And then in the years since, I mean, I've been covering indigenous focused rallies since again 2011. Uh, and more recently in the last like five years, um, like Black Lives Matter rallies here in Philly and related mm -hmm. uh, issues around that. So everything from prison reform to just, yeah, um, supporting political prisoners and things, things like that. I've been, I've been, I've been assisting with. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, yeah. That's, that sounds, that sounds really, yeah. Very, very, very impactful. Is there, is there a certain way that you choose to, to film these rallies, do you feel you have to consider certain aspects of what's happening or do you just sort of go straight in there and just see what happens? Yeah. So I, I try, I certainly try to not film any destruction. Uh, okay. I don't want, there's a limit. I mean, there's a limit to how much coverage I want to provide. Uh, obviously I don't want the footage to be used as uh, uh, a weapon or the tool, or yeah. tool for the state to prosecute people. So um, I won't film any sort of things that could get people in trouble, or I try to minimize as much of that as possible. Um, I try to be mindful of people's privacy. So if there's clearly someone who doesn't want to be filmed, I won't film them. So really when I'm filming these things, I'm filming the person speaking in front of a crowd. Cause I would say that I think they have an understanding that they will be photographed as a person addressing a crowd. So I really try to be mindful of who I'm filming and in what context, um, and I kind of, I kind of just, I kind of go from there. And obviously, I, I don't always get it right, but I, I really try to, to strive to uh, respect the space and respect people's privacy um, in the moment. And largely, what I've been doing in the last year or so is been just live streaming these rallies. So okay. uh, before I was, you know, filming it, coming home and editing it and uploading it. But now I will work with local organizations. That I will get linked up with their Facebook or their official YouTube channel. And I will uh, broadcast directly from my camera uh, through their channels in a in a high quality uh, way because I think like everyone uses their phones and things like that. But the way I look at it is um, much in the same way that I I film bands with very expensive high end gear because I want I want even the smallest band to feel like they are important and they're receiving like high quality production coverage. Um, I, I I shoot these rallies in a similar way. I shoot them with again the same high quality cameras and lenses. Because I want someone, I want people who are watching it to have the, the reaction. Oh, this is something that is important enough to be documented with such high quality gear. I should probably watch it. I think that there's yeah. a there's a subtle subconscious thing going on there when people see something that's filmed um, with you know with 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 uh, a certain level of care. 
So I think it's important to give these movements respect in terms of production quality. Um, one, to capture the emotion, but also to, to show people, yeah, this is, this is important enough and actually more important <laughs> to be uh, documenting like in this manner, not just with like, so not, not to knock people who are just using the phrase, but like, you know, it's something that is uh, worthy of, of having preserved and amplified um, in like a cinematic way, if you want to think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the footage that you're capturing, that can stand the test of time. That That's not going to go anywhere. That could be reused. It could be used to educate further. For the, like you said, you, you utilizing organizations, they can consistently use this footage to power their messaging. Yeah, and that's been happening quite a bit. Uh, I've had organizations who are using this footage to promote upcoming rallies or to just uh, send out, you know, I've had, I've had in the last couple months, um, various news organizations. So I, I don't know if these, <laughs> I don't know if like CNN, ABC, CBS exist where you are, but these are like nationally, um, national news organizations here in the States. Wow. And they've been reaching out to me to use some of my, my, my footage of these rallies to do pieces on uh, the topic that's being covered. So uh, the, the footage, yeah. So the footage is being used by both like the organizers, um, both, as, you know, both as a promotional tool and, and as archival for future use. Mm -hmm. And also as, you know, as um, source material for news agencies who are, for um, like covering these events that I'm, that I'm also shooting. Have you ever had a scenario where like a news broadcast station would be like, I need you to be here for this time or, do you follow your own narrative of where you want to go? Yeah, I, I follow myself at this point. I've never had any agency reach out to me asking me to shoot something. So they've been they've been coming to me, um, which is which is kind of <laughs> I never thought that would happen. But they, you know, my 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 content does reach a lot of a lot of people, and I guess that ends up in their um, you know, passes along their desk somehow, and they see it and they reach out to me saying, "Hey, I saw that you live stream this or you film this. Do you happen to have?" Uh, the speech that this person gave like an hour later and I'll say, yeah, I have it, you know, let's, let's work out a deal and let's get this to you. So uh, I kind of just film whatever I want to film. Like I, I'm yeah. thankful that I have the freedom to just film whatever I want and, you know, let people knock on my door. Do you intend on staying solo for as long as possible or do you ever want to join some kind of team or organization? Uh, I'm pretty content with being solo. Um, with the political stuff, I've debated joining a local organ, like a, actually a national organization that does film rallies. And, mm -hmm. you know, it'd probably be something where I would give them the footage and they would host it. But it's, it's difficult because certain things that I film here, I want for my channel or I'm, I want for my purposes because I'm working on a, a larger piece and I need that footage. So it's a little tricky to figure out how can I do that in such a way that, you know, I'm contributing to an organization, but I'm also retaining control over the content that I produce. So I don't know. I, I, much in the same way that I think about shooting shoes, I'm trying to keep this a one-man operation as long as possible. Yeah. As, as, and, and, and um, you know, that's for my own mental health and also just for my yeah. own creative, um, creative look on how I like to, to run the channel. Yeah. And like, you've got support around you any, in terms of, you know, you've got venues, event organizers, bands, so like, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you are one man, but you've got, I guess you've got these reliable stakeholders around you to, to make, make what you do possible and to push their art to the public, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whenever I'm doing like a multicam show, uh, there's certain people that I know I can hit up and I can trust 
to run other cameras. There's certain people that I, I will go to for recording the soundboard and mixing it. So like these are people on the periphery that I, I they're like, they're not, they are not hate five six, they're not in hate five six, but I know I can rely on them as people to step up when I need like <laughs> I need like help with a bigger show that actually requires physically multiple people to cover different parts of the stage or whatever. So yeah, there's people that I, that I trust creatively. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of people ask me to get involved and I feel rude saying no or ignoring them, but it's one of those things where like I'm trying to maintain a certain level of creative control and level quality control as well, that letting too many hands involved is just going to make it, it's actually going to, I think, create more work for me, for me to do that quality control and, and fix people's mistakes and, and, and instruct them. So I feel like I've, I've, I've honed my craft and I've been able to like sharpen the sword of being like a one man, one man fighter that I'm able to just hit the ground running whenever I'm trying to do something. And like, you know, I've debated getting some interns just to help with some like social media related tasks or yeah. scheduling, things like that. But in terms of the actual content creation, I'm pretty, pretty focused on just running that myself as long as possible. Yeah. And you've got to like establish boundaries with, with yourself and other people, you know, to protect your mental health, to, you know, protect your workflow, ensure that it's a, you know, you're making, you're making something you're happy with as well. So it sounds like you've got that in place for yourself. You know, you respect your, you've got to respect your time, you know? Yeah. Your time and your mental health are two important things. So I've been learning, I've been learning how to respect that more uh, because otherwise you'll burn out. I've burned out in the past and I'm learning like how to be mindful of what those markers are that indicate that I'm burning out. And part of it is like time and are there too many voices, you know, chirping in my ear about, Hey, do this, do that. Or can you do this? So it's, it's about like tuning all that out and focusing on yourself. And sometimes that means taking a step back and being like, Hey, you know what? I need to not, I need to not do any work for a day or two and just, you know, go out and, and just enjoy the world for a little bit. Yeah. What's your usual uh, downtime? I love riding my bike. So I do a lot of like BMX. And now that it's summertime here and, and warming up, I've been trying to go out there more often. I joined a gym recently now that the nice. lockdown has ended. So I'm trying to just, uh, you know, do physical activity just to stay active. That's what I really like to do. And just, just walk around outside, explore nature a little bit. So that's kind of my goal for the, the summer is to just uh, be active and enjoy the outdoors after 15 months of mostly being inside. Yeah. And I can imagine, you know, filming, holding a camera, it's quite physical activity, really, mentally, physically. So, yeah, you got to make sure you look after yourself. Yeah, 100%. So um, I was watching your a couple of video samples you put out on your Instagram, and your MH Chaos video has the nicest bass drum sound I've heard. It was so crisp. It was so tight. You know, like, it was just so rapid. Like, the drummer was brilliant anyway. He was wearing a Meshuggah T-shirt. I was like, ah, oh, he knows what he's doing, but um, but uh, so how in terms of the drums, which because I'm a drummer myself, so I'm always really interested how you actually record these. What was your process of the drum sounds and the drum drum? I guess the drum editing that you were using for those videos. Yeah, so the I was initially going to film that show like my standard hit by six video. So the standard hit by six video is just using a Zoom H6, which is a digital audio recorder that has two built-in condensers. Nice. So the vast majority, obviously the most popular videos on the channel are ones that are multi-tracked that, that are mixed and mastered, but the vast majority of the videos on the channel are, are recorded using this just Zoom H6, which is just capturing the ambient audio. Uh, and I'll do some parametric EQ and compression and mastering on that. And sometimes I'll like grab a very basic stereo feed from the soundboard and just 
blend those two and that's it. So my initial plan was to just do just that, which was a get a stereo left, right from the, from the front of house board and then uh, mix in my ambient audio and go from there. Uh, but when I got to the show, I realized uh, this guy, Bob, Bob, uh, Bob McGlinchey, who runs uh, Mill Street Records, he has helped with previous This Is Hardcore videos uh, mixing. So he, he was there. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm running sound tonight. And I said, hey, do you have your laptop? Like, can you multi-track this? He's like, yeah, <laughs> no problem. So nice. he, he stepped up. And this was like literally 30 minutes before the first band. So he decided to just multi-track it. Um, I, he just used Pro Tools to, to capture it from the back of house board. I think he ran like... I can't remember how many channels. It was, it was quite a bit, quite a bit of channels. Um, and he spent like a couple of days mixing it and he just sent me the mixes. And I said, Hey, these are awesome. Can you also send me a, a bounce of just a drum focused mix? Cause I've been, I'm trying to do more drum cams too. So yeah. whenever I, whenever I'm doing these like multi, um, multi-tracked live shows, I'll also ask the engineer, Hey, can you give me a, uh, a bounce of just the drums with maybe a little bit of everything else just for context? And I'll use that audio for the for the drum for the drum kit. So I don't know exactly how he mixed it because I'm not a mix engineer, but he I think he did a great job. Uh, I think that I think the kit sounds amazing. He yeah, captured everything really well. So uh, I'm I'm and again that was the that was the first show back the first um, audience attended crowd uh, audience attended show that I filmed since the return of everything. So I am very happy that he was there because I you know I was again I was going to film it my standard way, but I'm glad that the first show back was done in such a way where the audio was such a high quality because it got it got people so stoked like people are still watching it and still commenting like uh trying to wrap their head over how, how good it sounds so i'm i i can't always do it because it's it's a it's both an issue of time and money to pay yeah. someone to record and mix and then also um it slows down my ability to release the video um because mm -hmm. if I, have to, I have to if i have to rely again i have to rely, rely on an engineer uh it takes them a certain amount of time because they have other things going on they also have yeah. a it's also a whole different beast to make a multi-track live recording sound good. So I, I'm going to, now that things are coming back, I'm going to try to find a balance between when, when does it make sense to do a multi-track and when should I just go in with my zoom and just get the best possible room mic sounding audio as possible. So like the year of the knife show, I, I didn't multi-track it. I just did uh, the zoom record recording with a very basic left to right feed from the front of house board. And I just mixed it together and I, I think it sounds great. Um, those videos are up for early viewing right now on the page on the Hey Fast X Patreon, and people are watching it, saying like, "Damn, this sounds amazing!" So it really depends. Again, not every show needs to be multi-tracked. It depends on you know who's playing and if the room sounds good and the people, the crowd's loud enough. You don't really need like sometimes you just need a good audio, like a good um, yeah, like a good room mic, and that's enough. I guess it really depends on the scale of the show and the how big the venue is, right? In terms of how you operate as a videographer. Yeah, it depends on the venue. Do they have the capability of me multi-tracking? Do I need to bring gear to do it? Um, is it a big reunion show? Is it a band's final show? Like these are things that I, I try to weigh. Like how significant is how important is it to get a multi-track audio versus you know just getting a good room mic? Because some people some people don't like the some people don't like the multi-track mixes. Some people like the um, the room mic. Some people like you know, I'm never going to make everyone happy. So I, yeah. I realize it's, you know, it's really just up to me and just to make do uh, with what I have and just do the best job possible. So I constantly strive to, whether it's the ambient mic or, or hiring an engineer to multi-track, just try to make it, the, give it, given what I have, just make it as best as possible. Do you ever get any uh, like band requests saying, I want this to sound like this. I want this bit filmed at this time. Or do you just do your thing? 
they don't really tell me into uh, like how to film things or what to film. Um, they'll give some fee if if it's being multi-tracked. Uh, you know, they'll get in touch with the engineer and they'll be like, "Hey, can you make sure the guitars are like this, or can you bring the vocals up? Can you do this and that?" So, really, the only instruction that we get when we're doing these higher end productions is the band working with the audio engineer or like mm -hmm. if they need to do an overdub because the guitar got unplugged and they need to fix a guitar part. Like that's stuff that I let the band and the engineer work out. And I kind of just, I focus just on the video. And like I said, very rarely are they asking me to film like, Hey, get a shot of this or get a shot of that. Like they kind of just trust me to do my thing. Nice. Do you, um, do you build a lot of your own equipment or build a lot of your own setups for the shows and rallies? Yeah. So I, I bought a 3d printer during the lockdown. And so I've been 3d printing some custom parts, like custom grips and things like that. So I've been manufacturing everything. Yeah. Everything from grips to mounts and holders for cameras, lenses, things like that. So I, I, I have had a lot of fun doing that because it may, if it's, it's allowing me to think outside of the box and, and reimagine yeah. different ways of operating the camera, but you know, there's certain things that I can't print. So I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I've been buying a lot of just mounting, mounting gear as well, or just cages that go around the camera that allow me to mount a monitor or mount a handle in a, in a certain way. So I've been, I've been playing around with different configurations just to figure out what feels most comfortable because filming a rally is different from filming a show. Cause when I'm filming a rally, I, I like having like a shoulder rig that mm -hmm. I can, you know, keep the camera on my shoulder and hold in front of my face. But when I'm at a show, I need something more compact that I can move around really quickly or, you know, move, you know, hold up high, then bring down low or dodge a stage diver. And you can't really do that when you have a massive, massive shoulder rig. So depending on what I'm shoot, shooting, I'm, I, I lately I've been experimenting a lot with different ways of rigging it up and, and, and like configuring it. How do you decide what you want to build? Do you, is it a case of your project, you're presented with a problem and you think I need a solution here and you design what to build. Is that the process or have you got a bit more, over a different way of thinking about it it's mostly uh creating a solution from a problem so figuring out like okay you know i filming this thing yesterday was difficult because of x y and z this thing was in the way or my, my hand would have been felt more comfortable if it was like this so i'm constantly coming back from video shoots thinking about what could i do or modify to make it easier next time so it's a very incremental process for me um trying to figure out like what can make my job easier and is that something I can design or is that something I have to go out and buy or, or like kind of, or just throw together somehow. So that's usually my process. It's more so um, identifying a problem or a weakness and then trying to figure out uh, what can I create to uh, mitigate that problem. I guess you're consistently improving on yourself and on your style as well. Yeah. I'd say I'm constantly updating my shooting style or how I'm editing things. So for me, it's just a, it's part of the creative process. It's, it's trying to avoid, uh, becoming stale and just trying to try just, just trying to do new things and stay fresh that way do you set yourself i guess goals objectives when within your i guess in your, in your career or are you much more live life day to day and yeah, yeah. i'm mostly day to day like i said i don't have any long-term goals i just i just want to keep filming as long as possible and film bigger and bigger shows bigger and bigger bands but it's one of those things where even uh, even if i film the biggest band in the world i'm still going to come film a small hardcore show in my yeah. hometown the next weekend. Like I, I don't see a, someone was asking me the other day, like, I don't see a time where I'm ever, where I'm ever not going to film a hardcore band. Like as hate five, six grows, I want to use the platform and, and the resources I acquire to, you know, film a smaller band. So as I, you know, in the last year, I've been again, investing in higher quality gear and that's for filming rallies and things like that. But I'm also using that gear 
to film small bands playing in a basement. So uh, as HeyFest explores, I want the community to reap the benefits from that as well. So I, if there's any goal that I have is to just to, to retain that integrity, uh, no matter how big it grows. Yeah. What's, um, so what's your, I guess what you're obviously, I know that you put out like various bands, videos that never had people that you've never, never heard of what music do you, well, I guess pretty broad question really, but what music do you like to listen to? What music do you like putting out? I love, I listen to a lot of hip hop, a lot of like, really? Yeah. Nineties, early 2000s hip hop. Like I spend most of my time listening to that. Like, I, I mean, I listen to hardcore, but not as much hardcore as people think I do. Um, okay. I'm editing these videos all day that I don't, I don't, I don't want to listen to hardcore when I'm like, when I'm done editing for the day. So I just, I just throw on like a hip hop record or something and just, just try to relax through that. Yeah. Did you, I can imagine your, your aspiration of filming might, did it come from hip hop in terms of, in terms of discovering hardcore? Was that, was that, was, did you discover hardcore through hip hop or? Because I know that the, the two go hand in hand, really. Yeah, I mean, I grew up listening to hip hop and listening to like rap rock, things like that, and and metal. So, uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s, I was consuming, you know, stuff on MTV or stuff just downloading videos off of like Soulseek or MIRC, just pre-YouTube days of just trying to find, you know, live music in a certain way. So that's how I, I fell in love with live recordings through that was just by watching stuff on TV that was being covered mm-hmm. on. MTV or just finding download links online and just watching live recordings that way. And I realized like, I just had this, um, like subconscious, uh, reaction, like for some reason, this live recording is getting me really excited and it has me wanting to look for more live recordings. And it wasn't until later in life that I realized, Oh, live recordings are actually a very cool way and a very organic way of discovering how good a band is live and how, what it's like to see them. So I think that um, having that exposure to collecting and seeing stuff at an early age predisposed me to wanting to create this type of content for other people. So like what I'm doing with Hate by Six for me is a, is just paying forward the way that I discovered like my favorite bands was just through live recording. So I want, I want people to find their next favorite band through either a video I filmed or a video someone else filmed. Like I think that's just a great way for people in the digital age to discover uh, music is again. There's only so much you can infer about a band from a from a like a vinyl, like an album. Like yeah, seeing a video of them live tells you exactly. Here's what they look like. Here's how the crowd responds to them. Here's how they go off on stage. Like it tells a story that you just can't really get from a from a from a tangible record. Yeah, and I feel like the rise of social media and that sort of personable approach that music now has. I feel more people are really, really buying into that. People want to know where the artist comes from. You know, people want to know who they are, what their interests are. They want that relatability. And I feel like that's what hardcore is for people. It's relatability. It's a sense of belonging. So, yeah, I mean, like, I want to say that 70% of hardcore is being in the moment, being there. So, yeah, I think that's something that you you capture. Yeah, it's it's again this com- this is a community of people who like to feel belonging to something. So again, when I'm filming these things, I'm looking for moments that I think will resonate with people because people, I think art is important. Uh, whether it's music or paintings or photos or videos, people see themselves in art. So yeah. uh, and it gets them inspired to to go out there and do that thing, whether it means going to a show or going to a rally because something that someone said at the video, in the video of that previous rally, you know, resonated with them. People see themselves in in content. And so I think that, um, 
we're again, we're in this age where content is king. And again, it's, it's, uh, I like to think that I produce content with care in such a way that respects the moment and respects people's space in the moment, like not getting in the way or not filming someone who doesn't, doesn't want to be filmed. But on the other side of it, uh, creating the content in such a way that resonates with people and like it, um, emboldens the sense of community. Cause I think that's what makes this all, we're nothing without community. That's really the whole crux of it. Like you need your community, whatever, whatever that community community is, you need it. There's only so much that you can do uh, on your own. And that's the point that I'm trying to drive home is that um, like, whatever it is that, whatever this is that we all belong to, it's something for all of us to be a part of and to, to contribute back to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel, feel that's what hate five, six does. It's, it's a way to, yeah, be, see the community there, you know, there in front of you to learn about it, uh, to get inspired. Because I can imagine what you do inspires a lot of, you know, younger people getting into hardcore. Because hardcore's not going anywhere. You're still going to get like 15-year-olds that discover, I don't know, a big, quite a big band. You know, like knock loose and go, I love this. I want to be a part of this, you know. Um, and then go even further back, so maybe discover, you know, Madball or Hatebreed and stuff. So hardcore really isn't going anywhere. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. And the way that I look at it is, you know, if Hate Five Six is a vector through which people are discovering hardcore, that's great. Like again, they might come in from a Knock Loose video or a Code Orange video, and that's going to open the gateway for them to find out about other bands. But not just that. Like, I designed Hate Five Six in such a way that when they start following me, they're going to get exposed to political content as well. So even if they don't agree with it, I want people's exposure. To, if if they're if they're being exposed to hardcore through me, I want them to know from the jump that it is acceptable. For people in hardcore to talk about political issues because if hate five six was it was an apolitical thing and they just came in for the content these new people would not have any understanding that po politics are a part of it or that it's even acceptable to talk about it so the way that i look at it is if this is any sort of gateway for young kids that when they come in they're gonna they're gonna see that type of political content and like for me that's just as important as it is showcasing the show that i filmed last week because i want them to know that like yeah, you're, you're coming into this world. Like we welcome you. We're not saying you don't belong, but just so you understand that this is an aspect of it that's not going away. And it is talked about on certain platforms and certain yeah. bands do talk about it. So I want that to be like, I want there, I want, you know, I want people to make no mistake about it, about what, what they're getting into when they, when they discover hardcore through hate Yeah, Yeah. You, you, I think you're putting it quite, you know, transparent and essentially bluntly, this is it. And you know what? Man, I love it when like hardcore and politics go hand in hand. Like looking at the year of the knife footage with with those the two those two oh, I guess I think it was three three fans of the bands just being well attacking and being the shit out of those uh, what were they like white power people? That was yeah. that was so inspiring, man. Like if that's the message the year of the knife are putting out and that's the community bring together, you know, I want to be a part of that. Sounds amazing standing up against you know against bullies. You know that's that's brilliant. You know? Yeah, 100%. I think that people need to, you know, some people are like, hey, you shouldn't put, or that, that picture shouldn't be posted because it's going to get those guys in trouble. But like, I, I see that. And, but I also see the value in, uh, again, people see themselves in art. So I think when people saw that picture and saw that one of their peers wearing the New of the Knife shirt was standing up and doing that, I would like to think that I got some of those people to be like, you know what? Oh, I should be standing up. I should be going out there and doing something similar in my town when yeah. these white supremacists come in. So I, I I push back on the argument that this stuff shouldn't be documented and put out. Because again, people see themselves in art and it's important to to put that out there. Because uh, again, 
Like without this, without any type of coverage, people are, people think that there's nothing going on or that there's no resistance uh, or no no avenue for resistance, and that's that's unequivocally false. I feel like you really capture the being a, an upstander, not a bystander, when it comes to stuff like that. Speaking out, you know, against racism, hatred. I feel that's a really good way of doing it. Is actually showing this is what it looks like. This is how you can stand up against oppressors, against bullies, against racists and 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 homophobes and i feel like yeah well done on on doing that and i guess well done to the guys that went out there and did the right thing because that's essentially what they're doing they're doing the right thing yeah people people need to see examples of what it means to, to stand up for something that you believe in because we can go to shows and clap along to speeches and and sing these words but uh i think people need to see examples of what it, what it means to uh take those uh take that energy take those thoughts and those ideas out of that room and transform it into something actionable in a very material way, whether it's going to a rally or helping out at a community center or center or handing out food to homeless people or, or literally punching a Nazi in the face. I think people need to see these examples of what it means to uh, like take this energy that we all find so inspiring, this energy that brings us to these shows and inspires us to punch our friend in the face during a breakdown or sing along to these words. Like there's something in this music that's, that's um, eliciting these, very visceral, like primal <laughs> responses out of us. So there's something there. And I think that people need to see that you can actually take that little piece of energy, like even a small piece of energy. If you, if you apply that outside, you can do something major. So I think people need to see like what those examples are. Cause it, it then gets them to start thinking about what they can do in their own local community. Amazing. Yeah. I think, yeah, I 100% agree. And and I think it's really, really important messaging. I think, yeah, we can end the end the podcast there. Do you want to have any other final words to say at the end? Any any final messaging, or before you've got got everything you need to say? Yeah, I mean, if you if you like the work that I'm doing, uh, please consider following me on social media. It's the word hate number five, the word six on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, on TikTok. It's hate by six official. <laughs> uh, if you want to financially support the work that I'm doing, because again, the shows that I film, the rallies that I cover, are all at zero or next to zero cost. So it's uh, all funded through viewer support through Patreon, patreon.com slash hate five six. In exchange for your support, you get early access to the shows that I film, you get bonus content. So uh, again, hate five six is a community through and through, uh, both in terms of what I cover and how it's covered. Cool. And thank you for everything, what you do for hardcore and everything you've been doing with the rallies and spreading the message. Appreciate that.